like to speak to you about why the resurrection of Jesus Christ, why the resurrection of J.C. is so important. Praise His holy name. Father, as we gather here this morning, I pray You'll enlighten our hearts. I pray that Your Spirit will be free within our midst, Lord God, to acknowledge who You truly are. And Father, in the weakness of this flesh, Lord, I pray Your Word can come forth in an anointed way, Lord, that our hearts can be touched and trained and changed and transformed. That Father, will leave this place with a celebrant spirit, Lord, recognizing that, well, death could not hold You. And Father, as a result of the resurrection, Your resurrection, we have hope now beyond the grave. Let's just strengthen all of us, Lord, in a mighty way that it's truly been a good day to be in Your house. And Father, I pray that what we experience today can be just, a, well an overflow of what we've been experiencing since we've come to know You as Savior and Lord. And Father, I pray that it will also be a continuation, recognizing that, Father, You have everything in Your hands in control. And Father, we now have a desire, a choice, Lord God, I pray, to have a desire in our lives to become more like You in all things, fulfilling Your very purpose for our lives. Let the Gospel, the good news, come forth from behind this pulpit, Lord, and the pulpits around this old world, Lord, recognizing who You truly are, lifting Your name above all. And You receive that glory and honor, we pray. Amen and amen. I want to speak to you again about the resurrection. Why the resurrection is so very, very important. In Luke chapter 24, we're just going to read a few verses. We're not going to read all 53 of them. We'll read just a few. On the first day of the week, early in the morning, the women took spices that they had prepared and went down, went to the tomb. They found the stone had rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, no kidding. In their fright, the women bowed down their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He's what? He's risen. Amen. Praise His holy name. In fact, it is there in verse 6. We find the actual text that is so important because it, that story, the the point of the resurrection, it's captured in those three words. He is risen. And I want you to understand something as a child of the king. Even if you're not a child of the king, understand this one thing. This whole issue about the resurrection is not a take or leave it thing. And if we call ourselves Christians, we need to understand that the resurrection means everything that we believe hinges on whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. Because here's the point. If Christ did not rise from the dead, this is important, then our faith is a hoax, an absolute fraud. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then our songs and our sermons are delusional. If Jesus Christ didn't raise from the dead, then our cathedrals of worship are monuments to a corpse from the Word of God. And so the question we have to ask this morning, which is true, is this. Did he actually come out of the grave? That's the question. Did he actually come out of the grave? Amen. I remember, remember the story about a man who was walking through a cemetery, wanted to take a shortcut to his home, and it was dark, and as he's walking through, he accidentally falls into a freshly dug grave. Well, when he got up from it inside, he tried to get out. He jumped, he crawled, he clawed, he did everything he could possibly do but there was no help whatsoever for him. He ended up exhausted and finally went to one side of the, the empty grave in the dark shadows of that grave. He just sat there in a pile of dirt, figured he'd wait till sunrise and then someone certainly would be around to help him out. 
Then about 30 minutes later, another fellow was walking through and uh, through the cemetery falls into the same grave on the opposite end. As he hit the bottom, certainly he jumped up and tried. He clawed up. He did everything he could do to get out, but with actually no avail. He tried his hardest, but finally he was exhausted. He almost sat down. And just as he was about to sit down, he hears this voice from the shadows of darkness say, you can't get out of here. He did. <laughs> and I was thinking about that little story because over 2,000 years ago, Satan put Jesus into a tomb and from a voice from the shadows said, you can't get out of here. And he did. And he's alive today. And I am so thankful the Lord Jesus Christ rose again. I am thankful that Christ is risen. And you can say it with me. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Amen. That's true. He has. And that's a great message to all of us. Great hope for all of us. You go, you know, you go back 2,000 years ago. It's a Thursday night and Jesus is with the disciples and they're in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. And suddenly the Scripture reveals to us the torches of the Roman soldiers begin to snake their way through the garden. And then came Judas, that cursed kiss, betrayed him. Judas would betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. The guards would quickly arrest Jesus. And as they were leaving, you could see the, the shiny sword in the light of those torches, the shiny sword of, Sol of Simon Peter, as he cuts off the ear of the high priest, one of the servants of the high priest. Jesus turns around and rebukes Peter and said, no, it's not my way. My kingdom is not a kingdom of violence, but one of peace. And he reaches down and he performs his last healing miracle. He picks up that old ear and put it back in its place on the servant's side of the servant's head. Amen. That angry mob would, the Pharisees and Sadducees, part of the Sanhedrin, they would take, this godless mob would take Jesus to the to Pilate. And Pilate would look at the evidence and that was against Jesus and he looked at it. And three different times he said, he's innocent, I find no fault with him. I find no fault with him. After the soldiers there would slap Jesus around and make some fun of him, they would pass him off to, to Herod. Herod's men of war would, would slap Jesus, rip his hair and his beard, and tore his robe off his back. And they would put a cruel crown of thorns on his head and put a robe of mockery on him. They would spit upon him and they would slap him with their hands, and then they would would send him back to, to Pilate. Pilate then at that point would give the order that he might be scourged with a cat of nine tails. It's leather straps with these steel bones, steel and bones, and it would rip through the flesh and tread it, tread it. Then there would be the sentence of death placed upon him. Sentence of the cross, that old rugged cross. Scripture tells us that Jesus then would carry that cross, begin to drag it down the cobblestone streets of Jerusalem. The heaviness of the cross would cause him to collapse under its weight. And Simon of Cyrene would take and pick up that cross and begin to carry it for him. Head towards Calvary where Jesus Christ would then be, well, he would be suspended between heaven and earth. I don't know that we can ever understand the torture that Jesus actually went through. Over the years, others have tried to mock it, try to live it up, try to live it out, and try to pretend. 
present themselves as if they had themselves experienced what Christ experienced. I don't know that we could ever experience what he experienced. So there he is, suspended on the cross between heaven and earth. They had nailed his hands and feet to the cross. There was the Son of Man, Son of God. It's Friday afternoon, about 12 p.m., noon. He's there until 12, 3 o'clock that afternoon. Crucifixion was, was one that conquered the victim by suffocating them to death. In order to breathe, the individual on the cross would have to push themselves up by their feet, which was nailed to the cross. It was very painful. He would push himself up just to catch his breath, and then, of course, would drop back down again, and it would become harder and harder to breathe. Finally, about 3 o'clock in that afternoon, Jesus pushed himself up for the last time. He pushed up on that nail, that old rugged cross, and he took his last breath. Then came the last words, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And then he would cry out, It is finished. And the body would slump. Jesus, the Son of God, died now for the sins of the world, for anyone who might believe. His devoted followers would, would take the bloody bloody body down from the cross and they would put it into the tomb of Arimathea, Joseph of Arimathea. They would put ointments and 100 pounds of ointments upon his body. That was the custom of the Jews for the dead. And then a great stone would be placed before the, before the grave. That seal, the Roman seal would be placed. Guards were hired to make sure that no one would steal the body of Christ. And all night, all Friday night and Saturday night, the demons, I believe, and all hell rejoiced. The politicians of that day gloated because finally they had stopped the radicals of, from Galilee. The disciples themselves, as Jesus had predicted, they scattered into terror. They had a memory. The memory they had was a memory of a, a corpse on a cross. This was the man. This is the man they had journeyed with for three and a half years. This was the man who had walked on water. This was the man who had fed the multitudes. This was the man who had cast out demons by the power of his word. He was the one who would calm the raging sea. This was the man who could call back the dead to life. This was the man who could cleanse the leper. But now he's a lifeless corpse. If you go back and look to the foot of the cross, you're going to find Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's weeping without comfort. The Roman guards that were hired, they had to watch to make sure that no one would take this body. No one. Jesus could not get out. And I believe in that whole scene, I believe that Satan was laughing in the chambers of hell. The Son of God was imprisoned. There's no way he could get out. At that moment, death had power. At that moment, death was still powerful. At that moment, the grave was still a gloomy pit. But then, on the third day, the dawning of the third day, on that first Easter Sunday morning, when the angel of the Lord swooped down from heaven and broke the seal and rolled back the stone away and then set upon the stone as it, as it was to defy death itself, as it was to put death back in its place. And there would be a loud voice saying, 
Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom, and strength, honor, and glory, and in praise. It was in that very moment, amen, that Jesus would suddenly rise from the dead. And millions, hundred million voices strong in heaven began to cry out, Worthy is the Lamb. And Jesus would walk out. Before He did, He would fold His grave clothes and lay them neatly in the corner of that grave and step out. And He would proclaim to those that would hear and to us today, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me will never die. When I think about that, I think about that proclamation. I think about Jesus being the champion of death because what that means to us is that you and I too are champions over death. We are champions over the grave. We are champions over sin. We are champions over our past. Why? Because Jesus is alive. He is the resurrection and the life. If you really truly believe that, that's a good place to give Him praise. And you say, Amen. Amen. You give Him praise for what He has done for you. And I thought about what Jesus has done means that I'm not intimidated by death whatsoever. And the reason why I'm not intimidated by death is because I believe in the resurrection. And when I walk through that mouth of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because Jesus, my conqueror, has gone before me. He has explored the the grave and came out a champ, the champion of life. Jesus said this, because I live, you will what? You live, also live. You will find the guards now themselves on the ground paralyzed. Good place for them. And finally the paralysis would be lifted. They would jump to their feet and they would run quickly to Pilate's house and they would proclaim and scream out in this courtyard, Pilate, he's out! He's out! He's out! He's out! And I believe at that moment, suddenly those demons that had been rejoicing but a few moments before begin to run throughout the chambers of hell screaming, He's alive! He's alive! But it wasn't a rejoice. And I believe that Satan at that moment uh, shook in fear because he knew that the fact that the blood of Jesus Christ would cleanse us from all our sins, he would break the curse. See, Satan had this master plan ever since his rebellion. A plan to defeat Jesus. Easter is about life. And Jesus is alive. And make no mistake about it whatsoever. It's not a sad day for us. No, no. It's a day of rejoicing. And because it's a rejoicing day, knowing that Jesus is alive, it means that we ought to be Christ-like. And the church itself should not be some old dead place where a bunch of deadheads gather together. It ought to not be a dead place where the dead in Christ is sitting until 12 o'clock or so. And then all of a sudden after that, it's sort of like the grave is given and everybody comes alive. It ought not be that way. Amen. No. I started thinking, I don't want to be part of the upper crust. And the reason why is because that's where all the crumbs hang out. Amen. You know, I don't want to be that way. But what we really need to do as children of God is we just need to get down at His feet and realize that He's worthy of a shout. We can do that. We're Pentecostal, by the way. Did you know that? We are Pentecostal, amen. And in fact, He's worthy of a hand being raised. He's worthy of our clap once in a while. He's worthy. And it doesn't matter what denomination you come from. We can praise the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because His name is above every name. Amen. Worthy to be praised. I don't know. Is there anybody in this place who would just like to stand to their feet and give God the glory? Anybody at all? Amen. 
it's okay to do that. Amen. You don't have to do that, but if you feel like doing it, you ought to be able to do it because we're here to celebrate the resurrected Jesus Christ, to praise him and give him the honor and the glory deserving his name. I'm going to tell you something. I don't want you praising the Lord. I don't want you giving him the glory unless he's, unless he's taking you out of the grave. Unless you've experienced that life. Amen. Then you have a right to praise him and give him the glory that is so deserving of his name. And we can say hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Blessed is holy name. Amen. Amen. You can sit down. I, I heard about a preacher who was preaching a funeral of a member of his and he kind of stumbled. He tripped over himself verbally. Now, I've done that before. Yes, I have. I have. I called the person who was, I, I have called the wrong, I given the person the wrong name when I was trying to do one of the eulogies. Can you believe that? Yeah, you can. You know me. I'm good for that, right? So here's this preacher. I feel far sorry for him. Anyways, he trips over himself verbally. He says this, I have known and I have been the pastor of this corpse for 25 years. <laughs> Glory be. I hope that's never spoken of us. Amen. I hope I never speak that of you. I never want to say that. I just do not want to do that ever, ever, ever. Psalm 30, verse 5 says this. His anger lasts only for a moment, but what? His favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. You know, we could be sitting here, you might be sitting here, he said, but Pastor, but I've got a sad story. Well, Scripture tells us that weeping, it may come. And from experience, it will come. But it only remains for a night. And the reason why it remains for the night only is because when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we believe in the resurrection, we believe in the morning light. Amen. And amen. So you Pastor Bob, why then is the resurrection so important? Why is it such a big deal? Well, because it's about life. Easter is about life. I'll tell you something. Either Jesus was Lord or he was a liar. And that's what the resurrection proves. He wasn't just a good man or a good theologian or a good prophet. No, no. He either was liar or Lord. One or the other. You know, critics would say that the disciples somehow stole the body of Jesus. Well, if they stole the body of Jesus, then all they got was the corpse. <laughs> I don't think corpses inspire many people. Corpses don't cause people like Simon Peter, who was a coward and denied Jesus three times, to turn around and stand up on the day of Pentecost and preach to over 3,000 people, speak boldly with these individuals, give their lives to Jesus, be born again. Corpses don't do that. They don't inspire someone to do that. Corpses don't inspire someone like Thomas who, who began as a doubter, full of unbelief. History would tell us he goes to India and Persia. He then becomes a martyr, hacked to death by a pickaxe and still won't deny Jesus Christ. Do you think for a moment that a corpse, a corpse would inspire him to do that? No. And if you go down and look at each one of the disciples, you're going to find that they were crucified Many of them crucified upside down or stoned to death. Every single one of them was put to death, save one, as a martyr. Because something happened to them. Something happened to them on the resurrection day. See, they didn't see a corpse. They saw Jesus. Not only did they see Jesus, but Jesus ate with them. Amen. 
He lived with them. After the resurrection, he talked with them. Wow! And because of that, they were willing to be stoned. They were willing to be crucified. Not over a corpse, but over a living Savior. They were convinced, finally convinced, that he was in fact God the Son, Son of God. Historian Josephus would tell us that he appeared to over 552 people in 13 different locations after his resurrection. And so you say, Pastor Bob, why is the resurrection of Jesus Christ so very, very important? Because if he didn't come out of the grave, you won't come out of it either. There's no hope. He said, well, Pastor Bob, what would it be like? What was, it, what was he like when he rose from the dead? Once you get this picture, because it's important, because how he rose from the dead, that's a picture of what you and I will be when at the point of resurrection. He had a body. His body was glorified. It was disease-freed, sick-free, cancer-free, heart disease-freed. All of his body was life. It was a glorified body. Turn to somebody and say, does my body look glorified? Husbands, be careful right now. Be careful. Oh, honey, yeah, I tell you what, you know, you still got it. The truth is, the answer is no. Our bodies are not glorified. There's some wrinkles kitchen up here and there, and my my hairdresser tells me, Guglielmo, he's Italian, okay? That he said, Bobby said, you know, your your hair is maintaining its color over all these years. He said, but I do see some white coming through there. I said, where? <laughs> this is not a glorified body. Ange thinks it is. <laughs> Just going to pray a little bit about that, let that settle in. <laughs> but one day we're going to get a glorified body. Yes. And there won't be any wrinkles. No screws, no plates. It'll be so wonderful when we get a chance to trade this old body in. A body that is so powerful. His body was so powerful. He could travel from the earth to heaven and he could do it in just one day. It takes us hundreds of years, of thousands of your light years to get from the earth to the nearest star traveling at 186,000 miles per second. But Jesus was able to leave this old earth go to heaven and come back the same day. That's fast. Oh. And we're going to have a body just like that. Wow. His body and his body is able to walk through doors. He's able to walk through walls. That's a glorified body. That glorified body talked. It spoke. It spoke. A body that talked, spoke. He spoke. That alone is going to be heaven to some people. Just being able to speak. To communicate. We won't have to stop. We won't stop communicating. I believe we're talking because we need that voice. Why do we need a voice? We need a voice because we're going to be praising the Lord when we get unto heaven. And the very fact that Jesus talked 
tells us that we'll be able to speak and we'll recognize one another and we'll know one another. We'll know them in this place that he has prepared for us. The world to come. I heard another story about a young man, a little boy, the doctor asked him if his father said anything on his deathbed. Did he have any last words? The little boy said no. He said no. Mom was with him right up to the end. It'll take a little bit of time to catch into that one. You know, she was a talker. One day, one day, folks, we're going to get a glorified voice. Jesus ate food. Think about that. He ate food. He ate real food. That's good news. There'll be no more fasting. Amen. When we get to heaven, we're going to have a glorified body. We're going to be able to eat. You ought to get excited about that. We're really going to be able to eat. You'll be able to eat what you want to eat. Amen. You've never tasted food like that up to this point. We've gotten food that's been out of the ground that's been cursed. Think about what that food and glory is going to be like when we get the marriage supper of the Lamb. How it's going to taste. Amen. We're going to eat at the marriage supper of the Lamb with the Lamb. Amen. What a day that's going to be. Chapter 12 tells us in Mark. Now, see the Sadducees, they're, they're tricky people, you know. They didn't believe in the resurrection and they did not believe uh, in angels, etc. So they try to trick Jesus. They're clever, trying to be clever. They want to trip him up about the resurrection. Mark 12, 25 says, When the dead rise, they'll either marry nor be given in marriage. They all be like angels. But here's the thing. So the Sadducees come up, these religious leaders, and, and they, they say, Jesus... We've got this scenario. Don't you love when people create this scenario? Let me ask you now, if this would happen, <laughs> this is, first of all, I always deal with what is. I don't deal with the scenarios. I try to deal with what is. Amen. So anyway, they come up with this scenario and they say, well, Jesus, can you answer this question in dealing with the resurrection? If a woman marries a man and according to the law of Moses, the man dies before the couple can have a child, according to the law of Moses, the man's brother has to marry her. Now, if during that marriage there's no child and that man dies, then the next brother, the third brother, is to marry her. And if the third brother dies and there's no child, then there's the fourth brother's got to step up. He's supposed to marry her. And then if he dies without a child, then the fifth's supposed to. You know, I'm thinking by the time you get to the sixth, the guy's going, I don't know if I want to marry this chick, you know. Can you imagine him walking down the aisle going, <laughs> you serious? I'm number six, you know? And number seven's going, oh, this could be bad. This could be bad. They're trying to trip him up. And Jesus looks at him and says, you don't get it. You don't understand the scripture whatsoever. You're focusing on the wrong thing. The focus is that death is certain. There's a certainty in death. Everybody's going to die. All seven brothers die. The woman dies. Everybody in this room is going to die at some point in life. Think about it. Since the very first person who died, Abel, Death has not ceased. It continues. It's a matter of time. Just a matter of time when death is going to touch your family. And that's the message of Easter.
at some point, death is going to touch your family. Do you remember? Do you remember the very first time death, death touched your immediate family? Do you remember that telephone call that came in the middle of the night? Do you remember going to the hospital watching and waiting for hours? Those hours turned into days. Remember those moments in the intensive care? Moments that will change your life. Remember standing, walking over maybe to the bedside, saying your goodbyes. Being told that, barring a miracle, your loved one's going to pass, going to die. I'll tell you what, during those times, you're going to remember the strangest little strangest things, little things that touched you for the very first time. You'll remember those. You're going to carry them. But there's one thing for sure. You're going to recognize that death is real. It's real. Scripture says a man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Everyone in this place, every one of us in life are subject to the bondage fear of death. But I'm here to tell you this morning that Easter is about life. It's life. It's about the fact that Jesus Christ died and He rose again. And because He rose again, the trumpet's going to sound at one time and it's going to call us home. Thessalonians tells us the call of God. The trumpet's going to sound. There's going to be a call of God. And the dead, notice what? The, not all the dead, but the dead that were in Christ Jesus will rise first. After that, we are still alive and are left. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will what? We will be with the Lord forever. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, The dead in Christ shall rise, be raised, and we are confident, I said. I would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. To be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. We can rejoice over that fact, just that fact alone, to know that He's conquered death for us. That would also be a good place to take a praise break and give Him some glory, give Him some honor for what He's done. Amen. To be able to worship Him. Because that's the message, folks. That's the message of Easter. That's our great hope that He is risen, He's alive, and He is coming back. We talked about it on Friday night. I said, it's Friday. And I said, but Sunday's coming. Praise God. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. But I want to... Oh, I want to add to that. I know on Friday we talk about him being stretched on high and being nailed, but remembering that it's it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. But I want to add to you, folks, it is Easter morning, Sunday, and Jesus is coming. Amen. I'm going to tell you something, folks. The world's still a mess. It's still a mess. It is. There's still pain in the world. There's still addiction in this whole world. But Jesus is coming again. I'm going to tell you something. If you can't believe in the resurrection, and you can't believe in the rapture. You can't believe in the scripture we just read, Thessalonians and Corinthians. You cannot believe that. It's going to happen whether or not you believe in it. Listen to me. Death is a separation of the soul from the body. Death is a separation from the soul from the body. Revelations chapter 20, verse 14 says this, then death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is what? This is talking to us about two deaths. He said, well, it's only said second death. You can, come on, use your heads. You can't have a second death unless you have a first death, right? It doesn't say the first death, then the second. No, it just says second death, which gives us to understand there's got to be one before that. Right? Make sense? Took me a while to figure that one out. 
but I uh, think I got a good handle on that. So, well, Pastor, but what does it mean? Well, second death means it's a first death. So what's the first death? If you go through Scripture, you're going to find that the first death is when you die the first time and when your soul leaves your body. The second death is for people who are lost, who go into eternity. The second death is, is when you're separated not only from your body, but your soul also is separated from God for all of eternity. I want you to follow me on this. This is important. Go to Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So it's not just about a formula. It's just not about I acknowledge who Jesus is. No, no, no. no. You need to do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, but did we not prophesy? Look at the miracles. Look what they could do. Did we not prophesy in your name? In your name we drive out demons, perform miracles. Let me tell you something. If you found somebody who could drive out demons, perform miracles, you'd be saying, prophets, they'd be, oh, he's got to be of God. Jesus said to them, I don't know you. You worker of iniquity. Plainly, he said, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. You see, it's when people say, this we saying to people saying, I don't know you as I don't know you because you don't know me as your Savior. Depart from me. And at that moment, that's the second death. Now here's the key, and I want you to hear this. If you've been born one time, then you're going to die twice. If you've been born one time, you're going to die twice. We're going to put you in the grave. That's the first time you die. And the second time is when you face Christ himself. Die twice. Okay? Born once, die twice. In the natural and then being separate from God. But when you've been born again, amen, you die one time and your soul leaves your body and you go to be with the Lord. We are confident, I say, that I'd rather be what? Preferred to be away from the body and what? At home with the Lord. That's the time when your soul leaves your body and you go to be with the Lord. And that was because of Jesus, what he did on the cross and in the grave. And I'm so thankful that he did that. I know I would pray that you are as well. And we need to get ready, the scripture says. Because in the flash of twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trump will sound and the dead will rise imperishable and we will be what? Changed. In the twinkling of an eye, that's the message of Easter. Christ is Risen. Now, if there's anyone in this place who's a skeptic, then I want you to watch this. All the skeptics in the sound of my voice. How many of you this morning can tell the truth and say, I know for a fact that Jesus is alive because I've met him and he's raised me from my dead life. How many can say that? Because if you can say that, that's a good place for a big time of praise. Amen. Giving God the glory. That's your chance. That's your moment to be able to say, oh, he's risen. I know he's risen. And I know that he's coming back. I know that he is. And we can give him the praise and honor. So deserving of his name. We we can stand to our feet and we can give him the glory all over this place. Message is coming to a close now. And I want to 
Now, for, for our visitors, I usually preach longer than this. So you're being, the rest of the congregation is, <laughs> you're blessing the other con- congregation members. But seriously, if the message has stirred faith in your heart, then what I want to do this morning is just I simply want to invite you to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you've never prayed a prayer, asking Him to be your Savior, both Lord. Now listen to me. There's some people who go through the process. They'll, they'll say this little sinner's prayer thing and they'll say a few things. It's almost like they're like hedging their bet. Let me just get this taken care of too because that way, just in case, all my bases covered. It doesn't work that way because you can go through the routine of saying certain things, but just because you say something doesn't make, doesn't say who you are. You could say you're a car because you have a garage. It doesn't matter what you say. And Jesus is very clearly saying to us the things we confess. Remember, those who are doing all kinds of things in the name of Jesus, he said, I don't know you because you didn't do my will. And so for us to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, is to begin to apply his principles to our lives. We don't have to be perfect. He'll take care of that by his grace. But if you can simply say something like this and really mean it to your heart, and the Lord knows that before I do, Jesus, I believe you died and rose again. Today, your blood will cleanse me from all sin. Today, I surrender all my life to you. Use me, touch me, save me, forgive me, cleanse me. In Jesus' name I pray. So simple. It's the first step of faith. From that point on, you don't have to strive to please him. You just need to get to know him. Amen. And amen. You say, well, Pastor Bob, all these things, oh, I got changed. No, I don't change nothing. You just come as you are. We'll take care of all those things. Don't worry about it. Because our motivation as a child of God is not trying to get rid of stuff so we can find approval or live up to someone's standard. It's as the Lord reveals himself to us. There's certain things I don't do, not because the church says I shouldn't do it. It's because I don't need to do it. I want to become more like Christ. There's still things I struggle with. Thank you for his grace. But see, when you say the name of Jesus, when you say the name of Jesus, he will envision two things to you. First of all, He's going to put in your mind, I believe, the picture of the empty tomb. And then I believe he's going to give you the mind's eye of a throne that is occupied because he's both Savior and Lord. And he lives on that. He lives to to, to make intercession for us. And I would pray that you would understand at some point that believe it or not, he's been praying for you. He's been praying for you. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. I want to thank you all for coming out, and I praise God that you'll listen. If you don't have a home, church home, you can always see us here. Amen. And uh, don't despise little beginnings. Amen. Small beginnings. I believe the Word of God needs to be preached. I think that if we preach the Word of God in its purity, then I believe God will bring in those who need to hear the Word, not just to hear it, but transformed by it, and allow God to work in our lives to become more like Him in all things. Amen. And amen. God is good. This is going to be like a record. My clock says one minute to 12. Glory be, you know. Don't worry about it. Next Sunday's coming. <laughs> Father, we want to, I know this is what happens. Father, we want to thank you for the beautiful day you've given to us and the message was given, Lord. 
I pray that it will change hearts, transform us. Look, at least get us to think a little bit about these things. And Father, recognize your love, your care for each one of us. And Father, I ask now as we leave this place, we'll rejoice, saying it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. And Father, your message will come before us, stir our hearts, draw us closer to you, Lord God. For us that recognize who you truly are, I pray, God, that we'll continue to worship and praise you and continue to commit our lives to become more like you. For Father, we don't want to be part of the upper crust. We don't want to be where all the crumbs hang out, Lord. We want to be able to give you the glory and honor. And Father, we'll not be upstaged by our rock. You receive all our glory and honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Church said, amen and amen. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.